Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Team Blady Podcast. My name is Adam Rogers, and alongside me is co-host Steve Mez. The Team Blaney Podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been diehard followers of the Blaney Racing family for about two decades, and today we closely follow third-generation driver Ryan Blaney, who pilots the number 12 Ford Mustang for Team Penske on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. Each week on the podcast, we will review Ryan's latest NASCAR race and then preview the race for the upcoming weekend, offering news, notes, statistics, and analysis. Steve, we are fresh off a race deep in the heart of Texas at Texas Motor Speedway. The NASCAR All-Star race took place on the road. This is what the second year in the row where or second year in a row where the race has moved around outside of Charlotte last year at Bristol. This year it takes over the second race date at Texas. And our man Ryan Blaney was definitely a major part of the show. Yeah, this was a this was an interesting weekend. Uh, they uh they did put on a show, really. There was racing was good. There was a lot of uh a lot of uh, different things to show you on the on the broadcast. Different guys passing, different spots of the track. Um, you know, the different horsepower thing really actually helped the the product. I think uh, they raced a little closer together, and plus, you could pass somebody if you if you got close to him and you got to his door and maybe got into the turn and you know held your line. So, I mean, it, it ended up making for great racing. Um, the, you know, it was fun to watch. A couple of my observations was everyone always says that the all-star race is kind of like a big entertainment event and it goes to Texas. It's the last race for a promoter, Eddie Gossage, who's known for kind of doing crazy things and giving out crazy gifts to drivers that are retiring and um, just kind of that old style promoter. That's just trying to make headlines. So his last race as promoter, they go, you know, full on full send into Texas theme stuff. Um, drivers coming out with cowboy hats. They had what, like a, it almost made it look like the cars were coming out of like a, like a Bronco stall or something the way they're, they're at a, at a, at a rodeo ripping the, the gate open and the cars coming out through, um, heard a lot of people thought that, you know, just, that was a nice touch. Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders were there because any big event in Texas has to, has the, has to have them. So, um, that entertainment aspect of it, I thought it was pretty cool, um, we made some jokes during it, or at least I did. I don't know how you felt about it, but Sammy Hagar is playing while they're doing pace laps, which I thought the idea of it was pretty cool. Um, the execution of the song, I, I don't know. You can't. He's Sammy Hagar. You can't. I don't know. I can't publicly say anything bad about him. So, but that song's iconic when it comes to racing. So I thought that whole thing was cool. The way they did that as they went through seeing driver introductions again. I know we've seen them. I think at a couple other races so far, but it's kind of the first time they're really back to that big of a scale. And I know when I attend races, that's one of my favorite things, uh, especially when you have a pass to go down into the infield and, and see in person. Racing-wise, I thought that the whole thing was going to be kind of confusing, and it was if you just looked at it on paper and tried to understand all of the stages and inverts and votes and random draws and everything. If you tried to understand and grasp that all at once, it was maybe a little bit overwhelming, but the way that the Fox broadcast just broke it down stage by stage and just basically said, okay, for the next stage, we do this. For this stage, we're going to invert the whole field. It made it really, really easy to digest. And um, overall, I thought the race was pretty good. So why don't we go ahead and do our own recap of Ryan Blaney's race in the NASCAR All-Star Race at Texas Motor Speedway. Ryan Blaney, race recap, Texas Motor Speedway. All right, I'm going to start with the open first, just because it sets the whole field um... There are 17 cars going to be in the actual all-star race to start, but then they, they pick four cars out of the open, three different rounds, and then the fan vote. 
Um, round one's winner was Ross Chastain. Round two's winner was Tyler Reddick. Round three was Eric Amarola. And Matt DiBedetto won the fan vote, which was pretty cool. I, I wasn't sure it was going to be him or Bubba Wallace. Um, usually those are the two best vote getters. But uh, this time around, Matty D pulled it off. You know, it was interesting. I think it was Ricky Stenhouse Jr. before the Open started that mentioned something that I didn't even think about. I know, obviously, the race was in Charlotte forever. So if you missed the All-Star race, you kind of just packed up and made the half-hour, hour drive back to your home. It was in Bristol last year, so a little bit further for some of these drivers. But this time, Stenhouse had said, you know, um, if you have a short night, you had to fly all the way here <laughs> to have that happen. So... Um, I think some of those guys that just missed out, Bubba Wallace and a few others that just missed out on on transferring over to the Open probably um, didn't have that great of a night in Texas. Uh, when it came down to the uh, the actual event itself, we had um, they called them rounds. They didn't call them stages. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six rounds. And um, the first four rounds were going to be 15 laps apiece, then 30 laps, and then 10 laps. And then at the end of each thing was a different inversion. Um, and then really literally what it, what it came down to is pass as many cars as you can in each stage that you're in, because um, they were going to take the cumulative score of the four different first rounds, put them together. And then that's going to set the field for the rest of the night for the 30 and the 10 laps. And each segment in between did not have um, the pit, uh, any laps that uh, counted toward anything. So that kind of saved everybody. If there was a caution, didn't count toward anything. And then once you go to pit, you just, you did whatever you needed to do. They gave you a little bit of time, fix it however you want to fix it. Take your time. Don't go crazy and, uh, you know, get it out there. And then they just get you lined up again. So round one, 15 laps, and then there'll be an invert draw um, after. Now the invert draw for this first one was going to be somewhere between eight and 12. They pick, pick that they had cards up on a stage that were different colors or something like that. And the cheerleaders did that. So, uh, they start out seventeenth uh, is where he started. Basically, the other four cars back there from the uh, transferred in from the open with him, um, and uh, they kind of go over the pit road speed because later on they do have to do at least one pit stop under green, and uh, in the uh, segment of thirty laps. Um, right away, lap two, there's a caution for the twenty, and uh, he had gained a spot or two. He's up to fifteenth uh, by lap four, twelfth. Uh, the lap five 11th and then the lap seven he's 10th and he's talking about the front end chattering so i'm not sure if there's something going on there or it's just you know the heat because it was extremely hot to start the race by lap 14 he's back to 12th i'm talking about having no rear grip and uh larson wins this uh first round and uh you know, Ryan's talking about rear grip for when they do come in and then they go ahead and uh, they do the draw with the, uh, there was a color thing or something. They picked a color of the card and the cheerleaders slipped it around and it was 12, which was totally awesome. Yeah. I was pumped for that. I was just like, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Come on 12. Like he's, this is the last basically transfer spot and he can start on the pole and then boom, they flipped that box open and the number 12 was there. So uh, one of the uh, high points of the night. Well, it, you know, it puts him up there. He doesn't have to worry about passing anybody the next uh, next round um, and, you know, going to get a pretty decent finish out of it. Um, so round two is 15 laps. Uh, and at the end of this stage, the entire field will be inverted. So, you know, wherever you finish, you're going to be at the opposite end of it at the end of it. Uh, starts out first. He chooses the low lane to start. 
Um, the first four or five laps, he battle, battles the two car. He battles uh, Brad and uh, does a pretty good job staying in front of him. Um, and uh, I noticed Josh is giving him a lot of info about what line the cars right behind him, the two and the 42 behind him are running. So he kind of knows not to block per se, but if they're able to get up into the PJ one enough to run a faster lap up there, um, the two battles are pretty good. But uh, at the end of 15 laps, Ryan wins the round two. And uh, that's a pretty good uh, deal there. They, they, they stayed in front and uh, they had the speed and everything that if it was a regular race, you know, you'd want to see. So, and it took a while too. They, they, Ryan and Brad were side by side, and you saw this with battles for the lead throughout the night. Just the way that the cars were set up in the arrow package, it kept them, like you said, closer together throughout most of the evening. Guys got pretty big runs on each other, but it wasn't necessarily easy to pass. So it took a little bit extra skill to st- either stay out front or try to attempt to make a pass for the lead and get it to stick and clear the guy next to you. Yeah, it's a side drafting uh Thing, kind of a thing too that uh, you see at Talladega or something like that where if he got on the outside of his rear quarter panel and could stay there through the turns you come off the end of the straightaway and actually maybe make that pass which is something you know usually don't get in a mile and a half and you also heard a lot of guys saying after the race when they were talking about big moments or big passes that they made in the race they're like oh well that pass was actually set up like a more than a lap ago uh, before, so they're just kind of judging what they needed to do to get that run, and then to get that side draft, and then to clear. Yeah. Um, so round three starts, and he'll start twenty first at the back. Um, but uh, at the end of round three, it'll be another one of those inverts that's between eight and twelve. Uh, so he starts twenty first, and um, by lap seven, he's up to seventeenth. By lap uh, eight. He gets to 16th, and then uh, by lap 12, he's up to 13th. So a couple laps up on the stage, he's close. He's close to getting to that 12th spot. Not guaranteeing that that's going to be what's drawn, but uh, and uh, Bowman wins uh, round three. Ryan ends up 14th, and he's talking about the car being unpredictable. They do the invert uh, on this one, and it's only going to be nine. So, I mean, even if he got to 12, it wouldn't have mattered. Um, and uh, – they decide no tires or fuel at this point, uh, but they're going to make a couple adjustments to help with the, the, the unpredictableness, as he put it. Um, round four is 15 laps. And then, like I said, at the end of this round, they're going to take how you finished in each of the four rounds, add it up, and the lowest scores basically, you know, get those first couple positions. And they showed it on TV. And at that point, he was like going to be fourth or fifth depending on what happens in that last round. So he starts 14th and um, in lap by two laps in, he's already 11th. Uh, He gets to ninth by lap five. He gets to seventh by lap eight. He gets all the way up to sixth by lap lap 12. So he made, hey, like, you know, they had a good car. And like I said, on a normal night, on a normal race, it would have been real interesting to see what they would have done with that car. What's kind of funny is that the way that these stages were split up in these 15 lap increments and what I think the next stage is 30, but I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, oh man, he's got a long run car. And then just in trying to remind myself that, oh, well, if this was the regular race, it, this probably is more of a, a short run, <laughs> short run yeah. car or something. I'm not sure what it was, but you could see after a couple of laps into the stage, he would start picking guys off. And then by the end of that or round or whatever you want to call it, by the end of it, he had made his way up through the field. So, and we saw this over and over and over again and i don't have the stats on it or where to find the stats on it but i'm pretty sure he had to have passed the most cars of the night yeah 
Um, round four is won by Byron. So what would we have? We have Byron, Bowman, and uh, was it uh, round one was uh, was Larson. So um, of the four rounds, three of them were won by Hendrick, and the only one that's won by anybody else is Ryan. Which uh, you know it's pretty amazing when you think about what happens in in the next two uh, sections of the race here. So. Um, round five, 30 laps, and they have to have a do, uh, they have to do one pit stop before lap 20. Um, Ryan starts fourth when and the Hendrick cars are one through three here, <laughs> you know, so he's up there with all of them. Um, and by lap four, they decide to pit. Now, some of the, some of the cars that Pat have actually pitted even earlier than that. Um, they just figured, you know what, let's get this pit stop in, get it over with, um, so it kind of cycles and as it cycles by uh lap 18 finally he's up to fifth so it took a while for it to cycle because not everybody pitted right away some people waited halfway through um yeah by lap 10 only uh, the top top eight hadn't even pitted yet so not too bad he only basically lost a, a position in the pit cycle itself um then at lap 19 there's a caution for the 42 um, Ryan is talking about tire issues during this because um, they're not sure what, you know, something he thinks may be going on. There's chattering again. Um, but they just say, you know, let's stay out because, you know, we're, we're going to make, if we can make 10 more laps, you'll just make those adjustments uh, during the break. Um, lap 22, he starts at fifth there. Lap 26, he passes the two, he gets up to fourth. And uh, Chase uh, wins round four. So now all four. Hendrick guys have won and Ryan, <laughs> uh, Ryan finishes fourth at the end of that. So, um, he's going to start fourth in the last segment and it's only 10 laps and, um, the choose cone, you know, the, was, uh, chase and he was, he went high. Ryan was, uh, low there in the fourth position. Um, basically there was a little bit of a slip up somewhere, you know, on that restart coming into two there and it got a little loose on him and he basically he saved it he did a good job he kept it from getting you know anybody wrecking but he could he have gotten to the front uh you know who knows at that point um you know brad did a good job trying to stay up there with him but it was close ryan was kind of up almost side by side but there was no help behind and you kind of needed that at that point, especially right after a restart. So it's like he made his dive in, uh, sent Byron kind of to the back <laughs> behind him uh, a few spots and then, you know, just got neck and neck and then slid back. And like you said, got a little bit loose, went up the track, saved it, and then carried on with his night and kind of let Brad essentially at that point kind of go try and battle for the win and get it away from one of the Hendrick cars. Yeah. You know, uh, Larson winning, but, um, the three Penske cars were in the top five, you know, Brad, uh, Joey and, and Ryan were, the, <laughs> were three of the top five. So Penske did a great job with strategy, getting their guys up there, getting their guys a chance to do something. The Hendrick cars, of course, like Brad in the post race, uh, they're interviewing him. And he basically said something about being the best in class for the night, because he says those Hendrick cars, he passed them. And then the next thing he knows, whew, you know, Hendrick just blew right by him like it was nothing. So, you know, overall, uh, you know, it was very entertaining because, you know, we got to watch Ryan up front and winning one of those uh, uh, stages there. Um, and that was great. But, um, you know, just having that chance to, to win a million dollars and being up near the front to do it, uh, you know, 
it makes for a very entertaining night. Uh, I'd love a little bit, a little bit closer to the front maybe, but I mean, fourth was a good starting spot. Really. Uh, it's just a matter of who's pushing you on those restarts. Uh, cause they do need a good push, you know? So a lot of people during this race and after this race and throughout this season, anytime that the broadcast people or the radio people or, um, people on Twitter, are talking about the package. Everyone wants to talk about the package. I think we even talked about the package, and I just get, kind of get sick of it. Um, I'm a racing fan. I'm not necessarily a huge car guy in knowing all the inner workings of engines and aerodynamics and everything. So for me, it's like I know a good race when I see it. I thought this was a good race. For other people, since they heard, you know, this was even you know, less horsepower than the regular. Normally um, they could have run 550 horsepower. They actually put a a different type of tapered spacer on it that brought the horsepower down to like 510. So again, designed to bring the cars closer together, but immediately I think no matter what you do, as soon as you say there's less horsepower in a race car, you know, at least the vocal minority of the fan base just kind of goes off. You know, they think race cars should be, you know, 10,000 horsepower as fast as they can go. Uh, I can't believe they're not running over 200 miles per hour anymore, all that stuff. So for me, I just still stick to that. I know a good race when I see it. I thought this all-star race was good. I had my reservations going into it. I thought the way that the rounds worked out, um, maybe it helped that Ryan was running up front and that kind of changed the tint of my rose-colored glasses or something. But um, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about people talking about the week, whether it's 750 horsepower, 550 horsepower, um, restrictor plates, no restrictor plates, uh, how big the splitter is or how big the spoiler is from week to week. For me, it's like I I feel like if NASCAR just wouldn't even say what the package was, um, people would just kind of look at the race for what it is. I don't know. I don't know what, what else you can do. You can either go one of two directions. You can either restrict them all down so they're so close together, running together, that they're all going to hit each other at some point and just wreck, you know, what we do at Talladega, and they're trying not to do that at Talladega. Or go the other direction. Take all the restrictor off of it. Don't let them have a, a, a spoiler. Don't let them be hooked to the ground at all. And let's just see who can actually drive a car without wrecking it, you know, because that would be the opposite. That would be what happened. Everybody would get spread out. Uh, the best horsepower and win. And then, you know, as long as you didn't wreck your car because you could control it, you know, better without, uh, you know, any downforce, you know, so I don't know what, what direction do people want to go? I, I, I look at passing. I look at whether or not you can pass somebody these last bunch of years, the package on most of these tracks has been such that guys like Joey Logano win and they win because they're good at blocking. They're good at running the same line as somebody else. And then you can't pass them because, there's only one line out there. So, you know, like I said earlier, if you get up to his quarter panel, side draft off him a little bit and just pass him without having to, you know, bump him or, you know, and, and you know, there's more than one racing line out there. That makes good racing. So that's all I really look at is can we, can we get by somebody if we're a little better than them without having to wreck them or can, you know, keep them from blocking me, you know, to do it. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I thought. I thought it almost made it seem like, blocking wasn't necessarily an option here because it it felt like in some cases that cars were a little bit more equal so there was a lot of side by side and it was difficult to pass so it's like would you rather be a guy have a huge run and then get blocked and can't pass or would you rather 
them be side by side racing and just it makes it harder to pass in general so you have to be more technical about it or or set your passes up so i don't know overall i thought the racing was good this is where the the pj1 comes into play um if you if you watch the truck race and i've been watching the truck races a lot more knowing that uh josh spots for zane smith and you watch the truck race and as the truck race went on um, they could run two, sometimes all four tires up in there, and they were running faster laps up in the PJ1 than they were down below. And Zane was like just blowing by people because he was just running consistent laps under there. Everybody else was trying to hook the bottom, and he's just going around them. So, like I said, they're trying to do everything they can to to create race more than one racing line. And uh, you know, if your car is set up good enough at that point, and you can drive drive it well enough. You know, that, that's all I really want to see is good drivers be able to use more than one line, make passes, run good laps, you know. And this is a short – and the thing about the all-star thing is it's a short – it's all short segment, short segment, short segment. So you're not getting that 50 to, to 75 lap run where you can see somebody who's two-tenths better and gains on five people in that run, you know. So outside of the racing itself – I mentioned earlier before we got into the recap that this was the 30 in a row where we've been at a different track from Charlotte to Bristol to Texas. Do you think um, that this should be another race that goes on the road every year to a different to a different venue, or do you think it sh- even should be a different venue and even one maybe outside of the Cup Series schedule? That's that's a that's exactly what um I get a uh, a fan council thing from NASCAR each week to fill out. And they ask you the same, certain same questions every week. But one of them was, what would you do to improve this? And that's what I said. So every year, just move it somewhere else. Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL, whenever they have their all-star things, they move it to the, another venue each year. They do it for the fans, basically. So now if you're a fan out at, uh, at Watkins Glen or Sonoma or Pocono, you know, you're in the rotation. Sooner or later, that all-star event's going to come to you. And then you alter the... You alter what you do with stage or stages or, or rounds or whatever based on where you're going, you know, and, and, and what you want to see from it. So, yeah, put it somewhere different every year. Give everybody a chance at it. You know, get the different tracks who are under different ownership groups all get a chance at, uh, at seeing it. So I think this is where I get selfish and that uh, for gut reaction is yes. Let's move it around. Um, hearing people the last couple of days when they've talked about that, one of the places they keep talking about was take it to Homestead. <laughs> and Homestead's a race that we go to pretty much every year now, and it's like, oh, man, I I really like, you know, seeing 400 miles at, <laughs> at Homestead. I don't know how I'd feel about it only being, you know, a short all-star race. I know there'd be more hype and more entertainment and more buzz, and maybe if we went to the truck race, the Xfinity race, and the the all-star race, it would make the weekend feel a little bit more full, I guess. But that's when I was like, well, maybe take it anywhere but anywhere but Homestead or not not Daytona either. Don't touch that because that's another place that I that I like to go to. So but that's totally me being being selfish. But I do agree. I think I think it should be on the road. The where it gets kind of tricky is, you know, this year Texas kind of compromised. They Coda comes to the state. Um, they were concerned that, oh, maybe that'd be too many races in Texas. Well, they give Texas the all-star race. It's also a Speedway Motorsports uh, property. So it's like that's where I can understand with contracts and various things it could get complicated because did they as a company want to lose uh, a race date? 
unless they gave them back a normal race day, but then where does it go? You, oh, it'd be great if it's at Martinsville, but then does that take out one of Martinsville's points races? So that's where you kind of have to weigh things. I think people, when they're like, oh, do you take out a Texas points race? No big deal. You take out like a Bristol or a Martinsville points race. I think that's when it gets a little bit more tricky. So the good news is we aren't the ones that have to make that decision. Well, I, I don't say you have to take away a race either. You know, this is a, this is a date in the, in the middle of the schedule that's just a date in the middle of the schedule. They're always going to do the all-star race at this point of the year every year. You don't say you have to take away anything from anybody else on their schedule just to have the all-star race. You know, Bristol can still have two events in the all-star race. Martinsville could still have their two weekends and the all-star race. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be like that where you, you swap it out for anything else. I mean, I understand this year was because of that with Coda and Texas and so on and so forth, but we'll have to see. But overall, we think Ryan Blaney performed really well, gave us something to cheer for, gave us a little bit of excitement on all-star night. But I think it's time, Steve, that we go ahead and take our weekly trip through the history of NASCAR. This week in NASCAR history. First up for this week in NASCAR history, we have June 16th, 1951. Driving a Studebaker, Frank Mundy wins the 100-mile NASCAR Grand National event on a Saturday night at Columbia Speedway in South Carolina. It is the first NASCAR Grand National event to be staged under the lights. Mundy's first career NASCAR Grand National victory and the first win for the Studebaker nameplate. Awesome. I was just thinking about that Studebaker. Isn't that what Fozzie Bear drives? Yes. (laughs) Yes, he does. Next up, June 16th, 1962, veteran driver Johnny Allen scores his first career NASCAR Grand National victory in the 50-mile race at Bowman Gray Stadium in Winston-Salem. Allen edges Rex White by six inches, then crashes over the wall after taking the checkered flag. There is more damage to Allen's Pontiac than the winner's prize of $580 will cover. Bowman Gray... um is a pretty popular venue down there in North Carolina. I, I know that uh, their Saturday night racing there is pretty popular and uh, gets huge crowds. And uh, it's, I guess it's a pretty good place to watch a race. It is on my bucket list. I think the whole thing is kind of interesting. Just the fact that it is when it says Bowman Gray stadium, it is a, a multi-purpose athletic stadium that hosts football games. I know they've done several different reality TV shows there too, just because of the, the action and excitement and everything that happened there very historic track so i think it should be on everyone's nascar or racing in general bucket list moving on we have june 15th 1986 bill elliott outruns harry gant to win the miller american 400 at michigan gant makes a miraculous comeback from serious injuries including a bruised heart suffered in a crash a week earlier at pocono the races billed as richard petty's 1000th career nascar start although it's only his 999th career NASCAR Winston Cup race. Up next, we have June 15, 1997. In a crowd-pleasing late-race spurt, Ernie Irvin drives to victory in the Miller 400 at Michigan International Speedway, claiming a win at the track that nearly took his life in August 1994. Irvin leads the final 21 laps and beats runner-up Bill Elliott by 2.9 seconds. And finally, June 19th, 2000, Jeremy Mayfield rubs Dale Earnhardt out of the way on the final lap and speeds to victory in the Pocono 500. It is Mayfield's third career NASCAR Winston Cup Series win. Well, Steve, that wraps up another edition of This Week in NASCAR History. Tune in next week when I'll break out the history book and take you on another trip through the history of NASCAR. Ryan Blaney, Weekend Preview. 
Nashville Super Speedway. All right, Steve, the NASCAR Winston, no, Winston, oh, I got so used to this week in NASCAR history. The NASCAR Cup Series, not Winston Cup Series, is headed back to Nashville Super Speedway the first time in, what, a decade or so. So if you want to tune in Sunday, June 20th for the Ally 400 at Nashville Super Speedway, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time on NBCSN, take note of that. The Fox coverage has ended for the year. We've moved over to the NBC property, so it's on TV, 3.30 p.m. Eastern, NBCSN, on radio with MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. The stages for this 400-mile event come at lap 90, lap 185, lap 300, for a total of 399 miles on this racetrack. So again, I don't we don't have a ton that we can really offer as a preview here, but we do have some interesting facts. They've got um qualifying uh in the morning on Sunday morning, I believe, and then uh, there is a practice on Saturday. So uh yeah, this is a, one of those tracks I haven't been to yet, so they definitely have to give them some some time on the track and uh, shake their cars down a little bit and that's i like sunday morning qualifying i I like that yeah doing it all in one day um anytime i know a lot of people have said oh they can do without practice or qualifying they don't care i'm one of those fans that likes to watch everything that i can possibly watch throughout the weekend so i enjoy at least having uh this one limited practice session and qualifying again i'm a sucker for qualifying i like watching qualifying when i'm at a real race event too uh even if it's single car it doesn't matter to me i still enjoy it so uh the more practice and qualifying for me the better maybe not hours and hours of it so but since this is a new racetrack for this season for the cup series they are back to that Um, So, Steve, you did have an interesting, we don't have that many Ryan Blaney-specific stats when it comes to Nashville. I know there are several drivers out there that have tested at this track over the last several years when testing was still allowed. I don't know if Ryan was ever one of those guys, but um, we do have a Blaney that has just a little bit of experience on the Nashville Super Speedway. Yeah, I found, I went back into the Bush series, and uh, at least 07, uh, Dave made two starts there. Uh, the two different races they ran there and uh uh april 7th he finished third in the number 10 fan first todd braun car which i think was the first year toyota was uh in the uh, uh, uh what would be the bush series um so that was um that was kind of cool uh that fan first car was that black and green uh paint scheme and it actually had everybody's names on the on the all over the car uh, but uh, most of the stats for that track over the years, uh, Carl Edwards pretty much owned that track. So uh, maybe Carl will make a comeback this weekend. Yeah, if there was a race for him to come back uh, and do a one-off or something, even if, if it was in a truck or if it was in an Xfinity car, uh, there was a time at one point from 2006 to 2007 where he won three straight races in a row there. And then Carl also won the last two Xfinity Series races xfinity series races there in 2011 and he also has a truck series victory um if you want to look through at least again we're just trying to find something uh to give you a little bit of a barometer that what could happen this weekend again totally different era different cars different series but the names that are coming up on this winner's list from xfinity and truck include brad keselowski kevin harvick kyle bush joey logano um austin Dillon won the last truck race at Nashville, Kyle Busch has also has a pair of Truck Series victories at Nashville. Um, Kyle Busch famously also smashed uh, the Gibson guitar or 
uh, in Victory Lane at one point uh, that they like to still show in promos about Kyle to this day. So, um, and what I do hear is that uh, guitar is coming back uh, as a tribute to Sam Bass, the artist that passed away that used to design a lot of those guitar trophies. So um, it would be cool if uh, Ryan was able to end up in Victory Lane and win himself a guitar. He does have a, a few neat trophies from over the years from, uh, I don't know, that Eagle or whatever you get at Pocono from his first victory. He has a jukebox from what I think his win at, was that at Charlotte or Kentucky? So, um, Kentucky. so add a guitar to that uh, jukebox. You can prop it up next to it. Yeah, this is uh, this weekend is um, it's going to be all about Hendrick and finding a way to beat Hendrick. I think the next couple weeks going going toward the playoffs, that's uh, Penske's main focus here, is to figure out what Hendricks knows and duplicate it and help their drivers uh, run up there with them. Um, you know, if you look at this last month, month and a half of all the Hendricks, you know, victories, and they've been all over the different types of tracks, but. Um, there's only been one guy in, in the last couple months that's actually competed with them, and that's Ryan. You know, Ryan beat uh, Larson at Atlanta, and ever since then, Larson has not looked back. And uh, it's scary how good uh, Kyle Larson is right now. So, yeah, I was thinking of that victory uh, earlier today when we were kind of preparing for the podcast, like that Ryan was really one of the last guys that kind of outdueled one of the outdueled them. Um, I know Truex has picked up three victories this year as well, but beyond that, there hasn't really been too much wiggle room when it comes to the Hendrick cars and the rest of the field. Um, again, grasping at straws here, uh, when they were at Dover, Alex Bowman and a Hendrick car one Dover is a concrete track, uh, totally different from what you're going to experience this weekend at Nashville, but I don't know, maybe there's something there. Yeah. Like I said, it's not, not about, um, Week to week now, you just have to get better, you know, and, and by the playoffs, have it have it ticking uh, just right by the playoffs. So let's just see what kind of gains they make this week. Hopefully there'll be some long runs because that seems to be what they do best, um, getting a, a long run car together. Um, the new track, or not new track, but being in a track nobody's been, been to in a while tends to end up causing a lot of cautions, really, because people aren't sure of their surroundings, so... We'll see. I have to see what happens. Yeah, definitely just a lot of unknowns. You will see a truck race this weekend. You will see an Xfinity race. Everybody's getting practice. Uh, a few different guys are running in uh, Xfinity and truck races, maybe to get a couple extra laps here and there on this racetrack. Um, again, we just came off the all-star race, so the point standings haven't been shaken up at all. Ryan still sits eighth in the NASCAR Cup Series point standings with 509 points and 155 points out of uh, the top spot that Denny Hamlin is now kind of just grasping onto uh, with his last remaining figures with just 47 points ahead of Kyle Larson. So there's still plenty of points to be earned and gained and spots to move up uh, for Ryan as they as this second half of the season continues on. Again, you're going to want to remember that you're not turning tuning into Fox Properties for the Cup Series the rest of the way through and the Xfinity Series. So if you want to catch this race, the NASCAR Cup Series debut race, NASCAR's return to Nashville Super Speedway for the Ally 400. You can catch it Sunday, June 20th, Nashville Super Speedway, 3, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time on NBCSN. You can listen to it on MRN, Sirius XM, NASCAR Radio. And don't forget, um, you'll have a chance, an opportunity to tune in and watch some practice and watch some qualifying on Sunday morning. 
Yeah, so don't don't set your fantasy lineup until till after qualifying on Sunday. Speaking of fantasy, we yeah. did go over uh, a lot of our fantasy review and everything from Sonoma, where once again, I managed to finish second in points earned at Sonoma last week, so that set me up pretty well in the overall league standings, but I thought maybe it would be worth going through our top 10 uh, for the Team Blading NASCAR Fantasy Live League, if that's okay. I also just like mentioning how Steve has tumbled down a couple of spots over the last few weeks. So in first position in the overall standings for our Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League, we have Moon Cup. In second, we have Clyde's Chicken Pit Racing. In third, we have Doug K0525. In fourth, we have Mez12, who's backsliding. In fifth, we have Glitterbugs. In sixth, we have Rogue Tough. In seventh, we have the Dalai Lama 4. In eighth, we have Vans12. In ninth, we have Blaney Kicks Beep. And in 10th, we have Supermod, and I am all the way down, not that far anymore, in the 25th position for Team Blaney Admin, my team. Steve, we you went over be, those, those. Uh, go ahead. You have to be near the front before you can backslide from the front. Uh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so we went over um, the only stats that we really had when we were just kind of looking at who has run at Nashville in the past. Um, unfortunately, doesn't look like I can find Carl Edwards, Carl Edwards anywhere uh, in a in a lineup for me to be able to put him into my fantasy league. So of those guys that I threw names out there, Kyle Busch, Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, Kevin Harvick, Austin Dillon, they all have victories whether they're in the Xfinity Series or Truck Series at Nashville. One, do you think any of that is important going into this weekend, or two, are you just gonna run Kyle Larson? Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman, William Byron, and Ryan as your as your team for this week. Yeah, I may throw in a Gibbs guy or two in there too. Uh, you got to remember uh, Denny Hamlin, um, and once, like I said, once Kyle Busch has won a race, which he has, and yeah, he's dangerous and he loves to have a practice, obviously. So yeah, I mean, it's it's three teams right now, and it's it's sad because the uh, Stewart Haas guys aren't aren't anywhere near where they should be. Kevin definitely is nowhere near where, where he's used to being. Um, so, yeah, those three teams and pick pick a couple guys from each team, and uh, you should be in good shape. Yeah, and I tell you what, Stewart Haas, I uh, know going into this weekend, Rodney Childers does a lot of media availabilities, and he said, this week I'm going in and I'm putting a setup in that I want to put in the car, and they were still terrible. And after the race, he said, basically, I did what I wanted to do, and it was bad. So I, I feel for those guys because that was Penske at one point. That was Hendrick at one point uh, for a couple of years there. They had some growing pains. So, again, this thing is cyclical. It's going to come around at some point. I feel like the Penske cars are inching back there a little bit. They seem to be recently, within the last few weeks, the only guys that even have a shot to run with Hendrick. Um, but if you're going into this race – a lot of unknowns. Maybe this is a race to kind of put some, since you don't know what's going to happen, maybe put some guys in there that you don't usually run into your lineup and just kind of see what happens. Keep somebody solid like a Larson or a uh, Chase Elliott, I guess. Keep them in your garage or something if you need to put them in there. So, But, yeah, I don't really know. I think I'm going to start Brad, though. He has a pretty decent history at Nashville and several laps around that racetrack. So he'll be my lock of the week. All right, Steve. Well, we talked about the NASCAR All-Star Race. We talked about the upcoming race here at Nashville Super Speedway. The only thing we haven't talked about, not NASCAR related this week, but the Superstar Racing Experience was at Stafford Motor Speedway, right? 
this past weekend. Yeah, Tony yeah. Stewart and Ray Everham's I Rock kind of rejuvenated series that featured, you know, Bobby Labonte, Michael Waltrip, um, day, or, uh, Indianapolis 500 winner, Elio Castroneves. Um, the list goes on and on. Willie T. Ribs, who was a great um, Trans Am racer in the past. So did catch this on Saturday night. Thought it had a lot of energy. Thought it had a lot of quirks. But again, for me, the more racing, the better. Yeah, it's a nice supplement. And, um, you know, it's one of those things like it's created and there's a couple NASCAR guys in it and they're trying some things different. And, and hopefully people are paying attention at NASCAR because if there's something that might work over there, maybe they might want to try it too, you know. Even from something as weird as the, the drone was flying over top of the track as they were racing. I mean, how cool was that view, you know. They had a camera in every car, you know, so they could show you everybody and what they were doing. You know, things like that that uh, maybe NASCAR will pick up on. Yeah. Overall, I thought the show was good. Well worth the two hours and maybe 20 minutes that they kind of went over their two-hour window there. Again, they have little quirk things here and there. They had that fun flag where they, they threw a caution to bunch up the field. Greg Biffle wrecked his car, and he was able to get into a backup car. Um, so, all in all, I thought it was definitely a good experience. They debuted with some pretty decent ratings. I think 1.2 million people tuned in, which is more than, you know, like a Formula One or something else gets ratings-wise in the U.S. So, um, definitely something to watch here in the future. And I stand behind it. I put, put this on the Team Blaney Twitter and Facebook accounts and got a huge response. Um, I'm still pleading somehow. Again, maybe he doesn't want to do it, but I still think that Dave Blaney should be behind the wheel of one of these SRX cars this year. They got two dirt races coming up back-to-back at uh, Knoxville and Eldora the next two weeks. Maybe it's too late for this year, but come on, at least 2022, let's put Dave Blaney in a number 10 SRX car. Somebody, please listen to me. I can't, I, I can't help but agree, really. It'd be kind of cool. I mean, the lineup, when you look at the lineup of the people they have, though, it's a pretty amazing lineup of, of, of people they put together. Um, you know, and listening to the interview, like, in the car between uh, the, the heats of, of Michael Waltrip and just how excited he says he sounded like a little kid, you know, and that was kind of cool. And you can't even scoff at it and be like, oh, these are just, like, the washed-up guys. These guys are, even if they aren't all in their prime – proven champions and then again Elio Castroneves winning the Indy 500 totally you know just blew the whole thing up I think and they have a uh, I guess they have like an autograph session that happens at the track probably hard to get into but can you imagine going to that autograph session and coming out with meeting all of those drivers that are famous and champions in all those disciplines I don't know the whole thing's really cool Dave Blaney is a champion in the world of outlaws um, has that Xfinity series victory all those all-star circuit of champions victories won a world of outlaws race again this year. I think the resume is definitely there. USAC dirt dirt car hall of famer. Yep. Sprint car hall of fame. He's won the chili bowl. I mean, come on. Um, again, whether or not, who knows, maybe Dave's been offered it and he, he said he wanted to focus on his sprint car stuff this year, but 2022, I think we need Dave Blaney in behind the wheel of a SRX car, at least on one of the dirt races. All right, everyone, I think that's it for this episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about myself or co-host Steve, please listen to our first episode that really dives deep into how we both became fans of the Blaney Racing family. If you'd like to interact with us, you can find Team Blaney on Twitter at Team Blaney and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Team Blaney. And don't forget to also download, rate, and subscribe to this, the Team Blaney Podcast, on the Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and Spotify podcast apps. 
to close out the show, I want to remind you to check out the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation. This organization, established in 2018, supports causes that have closely impacted the Blaney family, including the Alzheimer's Association and UPMC Sports Medicine. You can find out more about the foundation on its website, ryanblaneyfamilyfoundation.org, or on Twitter at rbfamfoundation, and finally on Facebook at facebook.com slash rbfamilyfoundation. Or go back and listen to last week's episode that we posted and um, a great interview with Aaron Blaney and she goes through the, everything that they've been going through in the last couple of years there at the foundation so if you haven't listened to that yet go back and look for it in the feed there it's a special edition it's only about a half an hour long and it gives you a great great uh, uh, inside look with those who are helping run the foundation and uh, also talking about the uh the Blaney Bunch that you can go ahead and join and all the money goes to charity and uh, it's a great little fan club. Yeah, so definitely shout out again to Aaron Blaney, Ryan's sister and the executive director of the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation for giving us her time last week. I think what that was, Team Blaney episode 22. Go ahead and if you haven't already listened to it, like Steve said, download it and listen to it and you can learn about everything that the foundation is about and what they do and how you can help. So for my co-host Steve Mez, I'm Adam Rogers. We'll catch you next time on the Team Blaney Podcast.